Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, New Spring. How are you doing today? Doing all right? Hey, it's so good to see you. We've been in this, uh, we've been in this, wonderful, in this wonderful series talking about the real star of Christmas. And personally, I was, I've been really excited to give this message because I love Christmas movies. I mean, Miracle on 34th Street, uh, White Christmas, the Santa Claus movies, uh, Die Hard. I love all of them, you know? <laughs> And um, you, you got to mix in some guy movies here and there. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody, I mean, because you think about it, there's a lot of movies out there that are tailored to the female perspective when you go to Hallmark, you know, and, and every guy, what we do, we try to guess the whole story in the first five minutes and we tend to be right because you're like, okay, so her husband died and so she's engaged now to this guy who's this rough business type and that's not going to work out. So she moves back to her hometown and she just happens to move across the street from her dead husband's best friend who's a fireman looking for love. <laughs> and she is now, I'm getting close, aren't I? <laughs> she is now convinced that she loves this man because he, he likes the same thing she likes, Christmas lights and cuddles, all right? And so for all of us guys, I mean, if you want to know why guys, like, you know, why a lot of us think Lord of the Rings and Die Hard are Christmas movies, we're just trying to balance things out just a little bit. Um, so the debate on that rages on. But, uh, and, if, and, and think about Lord of the Rings, there's elves, okay? You know, I'm getting really off track here. Um, but uh, what we've been talking about for the last few weeks is that over the last hundred years, really, Hollywood has produced a lot of amazing movies that celebrate this season. Um, and, you know, what we've been talking about is that the first Christmas, the very first Christmas came together in a similar way that a movie does, you know, because there was a producer, God the Father, there was a director, the Holy Spirit, there was a villain, Herod, which we're going to talk about next week, and then there was a star, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the star of Christmas, uh, but this week, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the supporting cast. You know, whenever movies come out, we don't talk enough about the supporting cast, but the supporting cast is important. I mean, I will admit, I mean, you, you think about this. Every year at the Oscars, uh, every year at the Academy Awards, somebody wins Best Supporting Actor. But I have to admit, I don't even remember who won Best Supporting Actor last year. And funny story, thanks to Will Smith, Chris Rock doesn't remember who won Best Supporting Actor either. <laughs> Uh, that's a terrible joke. We can just edit that one out. Um, but like, I, I don't remember who won Best Supporting Actor last year. Um, but what's, what's, what's interesting is you couldn't have movies without supporting actors. I mean, even just think about Christmas movies. I mean, can you imagine It's a Wonderful Life without Clarence the Angel? I can't imagine it. I mean, can you imagine the Charlie Brown Christmas special without Linus reading the Christmas story on stage? No, I, I can't think about that. Supporting actors are important. And I will say, not everybody wants to be a supporting actor. I was reading a story about this kid who was trying out for the Christmas play at school, and he desperately wanted a leading role. He wanted a leading role so, so bad, but instead, he got stuck with the part of innkeeper, 
And he was frustrated. I mean, he was thinking to himself, how can the people running this production ignore my once-in-a-generation acting talent that I possess? So he was mad. I mean, he was really mad. This kid was mad. So we started planning his revenge. So he, he came up with a plan to sabotage the whole thing. And he, he had it down. And so the day came when they did the Christmas play and they got to the part where Joseph and Mary are knocking on the door of the inn. And, the innkeep, and Joseph asked the question, hey, is there any room here at the inn? And the innkeeper said, and I quote, yeah, absolutely, guys, there's plenty of room. Come on in. And the play stopped. That was it. Like, everybody went home. Uh, so the kid had his revenge, apparently. Uh, so, you know, not everybody wants to be a supporting actor. But here's what I love. If you go back to the very first Christmas, when you look at the people that God chose to be supporting actors and actresses in this story, these are people who changed the course of history, who were extremely important people. And these are ordinary people. These are people who had, had their own problems like all of us do, but God looked down and he chose these people to make Christmas happen. We wouldn't have Christmas today if it wasn't for them. When you go to the book of Luke chapter one, you're gonna read about two couples an elderly couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth, and you'll read about a young couple named Joseph and Mary. And I wanna tell their stories today and talk about why they're so important. And, and I, I wanna go ahead and start with Zachariah and Elizabeth's story. It says this in Luke 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's decree, commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. I try to put myself in the shoes of Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're going through a really, really difficult thing. They can't have a baby. And I'm sure they ask themselves the question that a lot of us ask ourselves when we go through pain. And that's the question, what did I do to deserve this? Do you know why we ask ourselves that question when we go through pain? Because in our minds, there's a certain way that the world is supposed to work. The way that we think the world is supposed to work is that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And so when we go through pain, one of the first questions we ask ourselves is, what did we do? Did we do something wrong? Did we mess up somehow? And religion makes this so much worse. Because in the religious system that Zachariah and Elizabeth were in, and in the culture they were in back then, everybody would point the finger at Zachariah and Elizabeth and say, this is your fault. You must have done something. You must have offended God somehow. Religion hasn't changed much in 2,000 years, has it? Because there's so many religious systems all over the world today that say that if you're going through a difficult season and something is going wrong, then there must be something wrong with you. Maybe you just didn't pray enough. Maybe you just didn't come to church enough. Maybe you just weren't spiritual enough. And that, my friends, is why religion is inferior in every single way to the actual, beautiful, incredible message of the Bible. Because when you open the Bible, when you open the Bible, it tells a different story. The Bible says that some of the worst of things can happen to some of the best of people. Church, church correct me if I'm wrong, but was, wasn't Joseph in a prison? Wasn't Daniel in a lion's den? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't they in a fire? Remember, remember Ruth? Ruth, she was going through poverty and she didn't know where her next meal was coming from, so she would pick up extra pieces of grain just hoping to get one more meal. Remember Elijah sitting in the cave, thinking there was no other righteous people, and so he was suicidal. He asked God to take his life. He was that sad. Remember Jesus hanging on a cross, the perfect son of God who never did anything wrong, hanging on a cross. We are broken people who live in a broken world. There is going to be injustice that we experience, but our God is not deaf to our cries for help when we experience injustice. Because if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember right, Joseph got out of that prison. If I remember right, King Darius said, Daniel, come out of that lion's den. If I remember right, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that fire, they were joined by a fourth person in that fire. <laughs> and that fourth person was Jesus. And if I remember right, when, when Ruth was going through poverty, picking up pieces of grain, God looked down at Ruth and he said, Ruth, I know that you think you're just picking up grain today, but I'm gonna help you pick up something else. I'm gonna help you pick up a husband. <laughs> and if I remember right, that day when Elijah was sitting in the cave saying, God, my life's not worth it anymore. Just take my life. What did God do? God met Elijah in that, in that cave. God came down and he talked to Elijah and God gave him his joy back. God gave Elijah his strength back. God gave Elijah his will to live back. Why? And, 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 and yes, Jesus was on that cross. But three days later, he conquered death and hell and the grave forever. Why? Because you know what? We're going to experience injustice, but God is not deaf to our cries for help when we experience injustice. And what I love is the same God who did all those miracles said, I have something special in store for my people, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And that's where we pick up the story. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. <laughs> this is where it gets interesting. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed, I would be too, with fear. <laughs> When he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. Now, at this point, Zachariah and Elizabeth are quite elderly. So at first, Zachariah can't even take it in. He can't even believe the news. And so this is what happens. Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. Now, first of all, I think Elizabeth is up in heaven right now saying, you called me an old woman <laughs> to an angel. And now it's in scripture forever. So I'm sure she's not happy about that. Um, but also what you need to know is at this point, the angel gets mad at Zachariah. And I got to say, I, I want to see what an angry angel looks like. Like, I, I want to see this so much because Gab Gabriel gets mad. This is what Gabriel says. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. At this point, Gabriel's like, Zachariah, don't you realize you're talking to an angel? 
I am an angel. I mean, I, I, I'm the angel Gabriel who talked to the prophet Daniel before your great, 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 great grandma was born. And you see this, this flaming sword I carry around? I can open up a can with that sword. And I, I came all the way from heaven to earth to talk to you. Do you realize how many miles I had to fly nonstop with no connections? I didn't even change wings in Atlanta this time. And you're telling me you don't believe what I have to say. That's the message version, okay? That's, not, that's probably not how this really went down. Um, but Gabriel's mad, and this is what happens next. It says that Gabriel said, but now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Now, some of you, some of you might say that sounds a little bit harsh, but think, think about this, think about this. This is not really much of a punishment. To me, this is actually a picture of something pretty beautiful. God, God is saying, Zachariah, you're overcome with anxiety and doubt right now, and right now is just a time for you to be still and watch me deliver you. You know, what, what did God say to the children of Israel? He said, be still and watch me deliver you. In a way, he's saying, Zachariah, I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this. I know you're anxious. I know you're an old man about to have a baby, okay? So I know you've got a lot going on, but I just want you to be still and watch because what I'm gonna do for you will happen. And sure enough, Elizabeth did become pregnant in her old age, and she gave birth to a baby boy, John. And this is what happened right after that. It says when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet. He was like, give me the iPad. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zachariah could speak again, and he began praising God. And if, in case you're wondering what this baby grew up to be, John grew up to be who we know as John the Baptist, who was the prophet who cleared the way for Jesus' ministry. In fact, it was John who famously said, who famously pointed at Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I would say Zachariah and Elizabeth did all right. I would say they did all right. But what I wanna talk about is that when God, when God was looking down and picking people to be a part of this story, I think there's a few qualities that God was looking for when he was picking who would be a part of the first Christmas story. And I think Zachariah and Elizabeth really illustrate this first quality that I wanna talk about, and that is this. Number one, God is looking for people who love him in every season, in every season. I wanna go back to what Gabriel said to Zachariah in the temple. He said this, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. What does that mean? It means that when Zechariah and Elizabeth were still going through that difficult season where they couldn't conceive, they were still praying. They were still loving God. They were still praising God. They were still looking to God. Here's the thing. God is looking for people like that who will love him in every season, the good seasons and the bad seasons. He's looking for people like that. You know, it's really easy to be a Christian when your bank account is full and your job is perfect and your kids have straight A's and straight teeth and everything seems to be going your way. It's easy to love God on the mountaintop. But... I think the moments when we connect with God the most are the moments where we're going through a tough season, 
But we come here and we worship and we praise and we tell God what a great God he is. And, and we're going through a tough thing. We're going through a difficult season in our family or in our finances or, or in our marriages. And, and, but we come here and we say, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus, my king. When, when, when we're in the, I mean, this is, what you, this is what you need to know. We need to love him in every season. In every season, the good and the bad. The good and the bad. Doesn't that remind you of marriage vows, you know? Whenever I do a wedding, I, I, I give these vows. And this is an important moment because the wedding could end right here if they say no. Remember this? And sickness isn't health, and poverty isn't wealth, and the bad that may darken your days, and the good that may brighten, and the good that may lighten your ways, and to be true in all things until death alone shall part you. Do you so promise? And the wedding only continues if they say yes. Why do we have that as wedding vows? Because the way God looks at it, only unconditional love is love at all. Can I say that one more time? The way God looks at it, only unconditional love is love at all. If you wanna see unconditional love, look at the cross. That is unconditional love. That is agape love. Why should we be surprised when God wants us to show the same kind of unconditional love back to him that he's already shown to us? And when God looked down and he was choosing people to be a part of this Christmas story, he saw Zachariah and Elizabeth and he said, those are people who loved me in every season. They went through a hard time. They couldn't have a baby. It broke their hearts. It was tough. But they came, they, they came and they praised me anyway and they prayed to me anyway and they, they, they blessed me anyway. I picked them. I like them. Ah, that lights me up. That's the first point. And I gotta move. Here's the second point. God is looking for people who praise his name. God is looking for people who praise his name. When Zachariah held the baby John for the first time, the Bible says he began to sing. And we have his song on paper. And I love it so much. This is the song Zechariah sang. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. We have been rescued from our enemies. Ah, that's so good. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. This is the most famous line. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. When you think about how good God has been to you, is there a part of you like Zechariah that says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord because he has visited me. You know, he's visited me and he's redeemed me. Oh, how he's redeemed me. And I've been rescued from my enemies so I can worship without fear. How many of you, that's your testimony. I've been rescued from my enemies so I can worship without fear. And I love, I, love, I love that last thing Zachariah says. How many of you can say that no matter how dark the night gets, I know I can still worship because I know the morning light from heaven is still about to break upon me. I know the morning light from heaven is still on its way. 
I love that. But it gets better because that's not the only song from Luke chapter one. Those of you Bible scholars out there, you know there's another song. And this is one of the most famous songs in the Bible. If you grew up in a Catholic tradition, you might have grown up memorizing this song. It's Mary's song. It's called the Magnificat. And in this song, Mary is visiting her cousin, Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant. And when Mary, Mary's already carrying Jesus at this point, and she shows up at Elizabeth's door. And when she shows up at Zachariah and Elizabeth's house, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy to be in the presence of Jesus. And Mary begins to sing. She begins to sing a song, and I love this so much. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For why? For the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, that's true, and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel, and he's remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. How many of you, when you think about how good God has been to you, that you feel like Mary, and you say, oh, how my soul praises the Lord? Because you know God, he's so big, he made the galaxy, he made the universe, he made the planets, he's so big, but he took notice of, of, of me. He took notice of broken, broken me with all my sin and all my problems. He took notice of me and some other people didn't notice me. You know, some other people passed me by and they don't know my name, they don't care, but you know what? He cared. He knows who I am. He knows my name. He loves me. And, and you know what? I've gone through some tough days. I've gone through some tough times, but all people will call me blessed. Mary said, people will call me blessed. People will, I love how she says, you know what? People will call me blessed. Why? For the mighty one is holy. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. How many of you can say, God has done great things for me? He has done great things for me. And what was the last thing that she said? He's kept his promises. Mary said, God gave promises to my ancestor Abraham, but he didn't forget to keep his promises. He kept his promises. Many of you can say the same thing. I know I can. I, I come here and I think about all the promises that he has kept. He's kept his promises. That's the second thing God is looking for is people who will praise him. I gotta move. Here's the third point. God is looking for people who love mercy. You know, Zachariah and Elizabeth, we've talked about them up to this point. But as you know, there's another couple in this story that's very important. In ancient Israel, in the northern part of Israel, there was a region, Galilee, and there was a small country town there called Nazareth. And uh, in Nazareth, there was a carpenter named Joseph, blue-collar guy. And um, I get the feeling that Joseph was a quiet man because we don't have any record in the Bible of him saying anything. And I kind of wonder what it was like when he was first trying to get Mary's attention, you know? Like, it, he, he was probably pretty shy, and so he, he probably, it was one of those things where he, t he asked a friend, who asked a friend, who asked Sherry in accounting, who asked Mary's cousin 
to ask her if she was interested. Do you guys know anybody like that who want to play a game of telephone just to get a date? You know, like, you know somebody like that? Um, and, and, and here's the thing. He had to be extra nervous because dating was a little bit different in the ancient world than it is today. I mean, he couldn't just click the like button on her Jewish mingle profile. You know what I'm saying? There was no eHarmony, no Tinder, no Match.com. You know, like, that, that just wasn't a thing. And so in the ancient world, this was the process if you like somebody, okay? The process was you go to their family's house and try to win over the family. And if you can win over the family and particularly win over the dad, then you can ask for her hand in marriage. And all the dads in the room are like, can we bring this system back? Bring it back, please. My, my, my oldest is a girl, so I'm, I'm feeling the same thing. It's like, bring it back, bring it back. Um, but Joseph, in order to marry in order to marry Mary, he's gotta go, I just have a vivid imagination. I picture that moment where he shows up on her front door. And you know, in the ancient world, impressing people had a lot to do with wealth, you know, how much money you had, how wealthy you were. Joseph doesn't have a lot of money. You know, when he shows up on Mary's front door, he's not wearing Ralph Lauren, Louis Vuitton, Nordstrom Rack, I mean, He's wearing the best flannel shirt he has from, from Dillard's. He's wearing some jeans from Duluth, and he's wearing some boots that got passed down by his daddy. That's what he's wearing. He's a blue-collar, get-it-done kind of man. But I can just see him walk into the house, and he meets Mary's siblings and Mary's parents. And I bet they were, I bet they were immediately impressed, not by what he had, but by who he was, by his character. Because... All night long, you know, in the ancient world, they would sit down and have a meal together. All night long, he says, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. All night long, he doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about them. He wants to know more about Mary's sister. He wants to know more about Mary's brother. He wants to know more about her parents. And I can just picture that moment where, you know, where Mary's dad looks over across the room at Mary's mom and he does that nod that you dads know, he does that nod that's like, okay, we can keep him, you know? <laughs> and so Joseph gets the go-ahead from the family to court Mary and ask her to be his wife. And everything is going really well. I mean, they start a wedding registry. They, you know, she starts picking out a dress. He starts picking out a tux. They start picking out colors. And everything's going really well. But then one day, Joseph, forgive me the metaphor, one day Joseph gets a text from Mary that says, we need to talk. And for any of you in a relationship, you know, these are the most deadly words ever, like the most dangerous words ever. It's, it's the three bouncing dots and we need to talk. They're both just bad. Um, and so Joseph gets that text and so he and Mary meet up and Mary's like, Joseph, I have some news. Um, I'm pregnant. And... I'm going to try to explain this story as best I can, but I know you're not going to believe it. And she tries to explain it to him, and he's still confused. He doesn't know what to do. Let me tell you what he could have done. In the ancient world, what he could have done is he could have taken Mary to the public square. He could have said, she's pregnant. The baby's not mine. I wash my hands of her, I'm handing her over to the authorities, and she could have been stoned to death in public while carrying the savior of the world in her womb. But you know what I love? 
In Matthew, it says, because he was a righteous man, he didn't do that. Because he was a righteous man, he did not do that. He showed mercy. I, I love so much how this beautiful act of mercy happened, and then look at what happened next. This is what happened. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Have you ever thought about the fact that we wouldn't have Christmas today if Joseph wouldn't have been a man of mercy? You know, we're doing living nativity this weekend. There would have been no nativity in Bethlehem if Joseph wouldn't have shown mercy. There would have been no crucifixion. There would have been no resurrection. We would have nothing at all to celebrate in this room right now if God would not have picked a man who loved mercy, compassion, grace, and love. Joseph was all of those things. And I think God is still looking for people with a compassionate, merciful, loving heart. He's still looking for that. You know why? Because when God looks down and he sees somebody full of mercy and compassion, he sees a little bit of himself in that person. And he's looking for those people today. Do, and I just, I mean, this is the thing. Joseph loved mercy. And back then, they would have been, Joseph and Mary would have grown up learning this verse, Micah 6, 8. It says, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do you, do you love mercy? Do you love mercy? Maybe you say, I show mercy. Do you love it? Because God loves mercy. Do you love mercy? You know, we, we, we're in a culture right now that pretends to love mercy, but what it actually loves is hate. I wanna ask you, do you love mercy? And I know that sometimes it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to love mercy. Sometimes it's hard to, to, to give forgiveness and to not highlight the problems of other people. I, I was reading a story about a family that went Christmas shopping the other day, and there was two kids, uh, three-year-old Susan and four-year-old Jason. And when they got out of the store, they had discovered that three-year-old Susan had taken a red hair barrette and taken it off the shelf and stuffed it in her pocket and they had walked out of the store without paying. And so the mom decided this is gonna be a teaching moment. We're gonna go back into the store, Susan's gonna give it back and we're gonna apologize for shoplifting. And that's exactly what they did. And, but later that day they went to the grocery store and the guy who was doing the checkout he asked three-year-old Susan and four-year-old Jason, he asked them, hey, have you kids been good this year so Santa will come? And four-year-old Jason, without skipping a beat, said, you know, I've been, I've been very good, but we're all worried about my sister. She just robbed a store. <laughs> I'm, you know, the funny part is I, I see myself and Jason a little bit sometimes, you know, because like, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm good, okay? I've got, I've got these problems, but those are my problems. They're not big problems. I'm good. You know what? I'm, I'm fine, but man, these people, like terrible, terrible, terrible people. How else do you explain social media? But I'm just saying like, these people, terrible. But, but God challenges us to love mercy. 
You know, around Christmas, we're around people that we've grown up with, we're around family, we're around friends, and we're around people that we have years of history with, am I right? And so every Christmas, I, I, here's what I know, here's what I know, there's a possibility that right now there's somebody close to you where they did something that offended you, they said something that hurt you, they broke your trust, they did something that hurt you very much, and every Christmas, You've got them by the collar and you know that you do because you remind them that you do. And you're like, hey, I remember what you did. I remember what you said. Can I just say life is too short to hold people hostage? Life is too short. Life is too short because here's the thing. If, you've, if you're in that situation, you know there's a possibility that your anger towards this person is hurting you more than it's hurting them. And sometimes you have to learn to, to, to say, you know what? I'm gonna give mercy. I'm gonna give forgiveness this season Maybe, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your spouse who's sitting next to you right now and you had a big fight on the way here. Life is too short. Tear up the invoice, say you don't owe me anymore. You know, because I'm telling you right now, God challenges us to love mercy. Joseph loved mercy and that's why we're sitting here right now. Do you love mercy? Do you love mercy? You know, right now we got all these Christmas commercials that are bombarding us on TV and on YouTube. Don't you just hate it when you wanna watch a video on YouTube and it's like 15 seconds of commercials? It's crazy. It's not political commercials anymore because midterms are over. Now it's like Christmas commercials. And, and all the Christmas commercials sound the same after a while. It's like, give the gift of blank this Christmas season. Give the gift of jewelry this Christmas season. Give the gift of chocolate this Christmas season. If they were honest, they would say, Give the gift of your life savings to our company this Christmas season. Um, I just wanna challenge you, give the gift of mercy to someone this Christmas season. Let somebody go and say, hey, you don't owe me anymore. I know you'll never be able to repay me. I mean, maybe you'd say, they don't deserve it. That's the point. That's the point, they don't deserve it. Give the gift of mercy this Christmas season. It's free and it's the best thing you can put under the tree for somebody that you love this year. Here's the fourth thing, and I promise I'll move. God is looking for people who simply follow him. You know, what I love about Joseph, he's a simple man, but he did what God asked him to do. I mean, God told Joseph, it's okay to, it's okay to marry Mary. What is in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and marry her, and he did. God said, Joseph, I want you to name the baby Jesus. He named the baby Jesus. God told Joseph, hey, Herod is gonna send soldiers to try to kill the baby. You guys need to go to Egypt and you need to go right now. They went to Egypt and then when all of that ended, God said, okay, you can come back from Egypt. You can live in Nazareth and they left Egypt. Whenever God told Joseph to do something, he just did it. He didn't overcomplicate it. He didn't turn long division into calculus like my generation does all the time with stuff. You know, We can overcomplicate anything. We're really good at it. I mean, relationships, dating, morality, you name it. We will make it as complicated as possible. That's, that's how millennials like me are. But Joseph was a simple man who just did what God said. And think about what Joseph got in return. Joseph has memories of Jesus that nobody else has. Joseph has memories of Jesus that nobody else has. He got to see the savior of the world open his tiny eyes on earth for the very first time. Jesus' feet, the feet that would one day walk on water, he got to see those feet take their first steps. Jesus' voice, that voice that would calm the storm, 
and preach the Sermon on the Mount, Joseph got to hear that voice say the first words. That, that forehead, that forehead that will one day have a crown of thorns and is now crowned with glory. Joseph got to cradle that forehead on his shoulder when he rocked the baby to sleep at night. And, and oh yes, those hands. Jesus' hands that will one day have nails driven through them for you and for me. Joseph got to teach those hands how to make, how to make beautiful things. Joseph has memories that no other human being in history has of God. He got more of an up-close, personal look at God than anyone in history. Why? He was a simple man that when God told him to do something, he just did it. And God said, I'm gonna show you things no one else has ever seen. So that's cool to me. Here's the last point. Sorry, I'm in overtime. Here's the fifth point. God is looking for people who will say yes. This This is the big one. I wanna go back to the moment when the angel appeared to Mary that we read every Christmas, the the, the text that we read every Christmas. Look at this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you were to call him Jesus. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then here's the big line. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, she could have said no. She could have said, you know, this is too much. I mean, everybody in town is gonna get the wrong idea about me, and I gotta go all the way to Bethlehem on a donkey? And you're not gonna tell Joseph right away? And and what about all those prophecies about the Messiah having to die as a mother? How am I supposed to watch my son be killed and sacrificed for the sins of the world? No, I can't do it. Find, Find yourself somebody else. But she said, yes, she said, yes. She said, God, whatever you want, I'll do. God, if you want me to carry the savior of the world, I will gladly carry the savior of the world. And it was because she said, yes, that we have Christmas. And here's the thing, all God is looking from you today, all God is looking for from you is still just yes, still a yes. Because let me tell you something, that baby that Mary carried, 30, 33 years later, that baby, as a man, laid down his life for you. You know, Jesus carried a cross. He, was, he had a crown of thorns put on him. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was mocked. They pulled out his beard, and they, and they tortured him. They, they, they beat him with a cat of nine tails with glass and lead, and they, they tore open his back and they, they made fun of him and they, 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 they did all these terrible things and then they made him drag this cross and he went up to Calvary and, he, and he, they drilled nails into his hands and his feet and he hung there for hours. Why? Because he wanted to give you a gift this Christmas. He, he went through all of that for you. He went through all of that for you. He went through all of that because he has a gift for you, and it's free. That's why it's a gift, and that gift is eternal life and forgiveness 
and being a part of his family. And if you've never accepted that gift, please, please, please say yes. Say yes, because that's all you need to do is say yes. You don't need to join a certain church or jump through a certain set of hoops or do X, Y, and Z. All you have to do is say yes. That's all he needs from you. All he needs from you is yes. Why? Because the heavy lifting has been done and the price has been paid. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is say yes. Let's pray really quick. If you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus, right now is the time. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Next week's not guaranteed. Today is the day to say yes to Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I'm gonna pray a prayer that says yes to God where he will come into your heart and forgive you and save you. And if you'll pray with me, you can do that right now. You could do it silently in your heart or you could do it out loud, either one. But let's pray right now, right now. Heavenly Father, I know I've done wrong things. I know I've sinned. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And I believe he arose from the grave. Please come into my heart and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you go, if you just prayed that prayer, there's a box of things we wanna give you that's got a book called My New Walk with God that answers a lot of questions you might have. And there's a Bible in here and a coupon and some really cool things. It's free, doesn't cost you anything. All you have to do is go to the info centers or if you're watching online or watching on TV, uh, or even if you wanna do this here in this room, you can text the word PRAYED in all caps to 97,000. And we just wanna give this to you as a way of saying we wanna come alongside you. Thank you so much, everybody. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.